What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Tehran Apologetics. Pumped to join us today to have Caleb Jackson. Uh, we're going to be responding to Shabir Ali on the resurrection. So, Caleb, what's up, man? How you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me again, Zach. It's uh, nice to be back and uh, to be on here. I think last time we were talking about miracles, and so today, kind of talking something along those lines, but it'll be about the uh, the resurrection. So I'm looking forward to it. Exactly. So we're going to be doing um, the full debate will be in the description of this video, but we're going to be looking at Shabir Ali. He had a debate with Tony Costa on Did Jesus Rise from the Dead? And we're going to be looking at Shabir's opening. So Caleb, anything you want to say before we get into this first clip? Uh, not really to go into. I will say just as kind of a, 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 a something I thought was interesting. I actually have talked to Tony Costa before. I think it's Costa before uh, he was I was trying to get a paper published uh, in a New Testament journal on um so it was, it was a paper about the gospel of Matthew's passion and resurrection narrative. And he actually looked over for me, ended up not getting published, but still it was, I, I had reached out to me, give me some good advice. So a little bit of a connection, but he's a very smart guy. So yeah, uh, it was nice to see him do this debate. Yeah, it's a good debate. All right, here we go. We're going to start and dive right into this. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, brothers and sisters in faith, uh, I you thank you all it, right? for uh, giving me this opportunity to speak before you all. I thank Tony for sharing this platform with me. I thank Marlon for inviting me. Uh, to this platform. I praise our creator and uh, fashioner, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and I ask him to send peace and blessings upon all of his prophets, his messengers, and all of the righteous people of all time. I ask him to bless you all from around the globe who are joining us uh, here uh, this uh, evening. It is evening in, in Toronto. Uh, perhaps it's morning for some of you. May God bless you all. And uh, I see this as a great opportunity for Muslims and Christians to get a better understanding of each other. Muslims and Christians have a lot in common, and our debate should not uh, cause us to lose sight of that important fact. Both Muslims and Christians actually believe in Jesus. And when we speak about how uh, the career of Jesus ended uh, on, on the earth uh, some 2,000 years ago, actually for both Muslims and Christians, the, the, the the point of it all, uh, the point of our view is, the point of our point of view is uh, that uh, we want to show that Jesus is vindicated by God. His enemies thought that they had him down, uh, but God raised him. So the Quran says in Surah 4, verse number 158, uh, but God raised him uh, to himself. And God is mighty wise. So the, in, in the Christian story, Jesus resurrects from the grave, and that's the way in which God uh, declares that he is the, uh, the son of God, according to uh, Paul in Romans. Uh, in the Quran, this is how God vindicates Jesus by raising him uh, into heaven. So in the Quran, Jesus is said to be Min al-Muqarabin, one of those who are closest to God. Now, uh, for... Okay, so anything you want to say here, Caleb, with regards to like Shabir's like preliminary thoughts before you get into like the deeper stuff? Yeah, I mean, when he says Muslims and Christians believe in Jesus, I, I, I feel like that's a little bit of an equivocation fallacy in terms of what believe constitutes. I mean, yes, both of them believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he was a prophet, um, but in terms of the, you know, I think it's interesting in Islam how they deny like the the, the three core tenets, you know, and um, I believe it's Romans where Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, he died. And then, and that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But that those are the three things they deny that he is Lord, that he died and that he rose from the dead. So it's interesting mm -hmm. like that the bare minimum you need for Christianity to distinguish that is what Islam is, is lacking. So yes, it's like, yes, they do believe in him in the sense that they respect him as a prophet and they, Consider him a very holy man and a good teacher, but they don't believe that he uh, was was God. And of course, someone making the claims that Jesus did about his divinity um, could not be a good teacher if he was lying. Now, I know Muslims will say that, that he didn't say that and that that's corrupted. Um, that's a different argument. But uh, that's just uh, those are the preliminary thoughts I would have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's good. And I think I'm on the same page as you. Like, obviously, like you could say Christians and Muslims both adhere to the proposition that like Jesus existed as a historical figure. Like, I guess in that sense, we both believe in Jesus. But obviously, you know, as you said, Caleb, 
there's a lot of things with like him being like the atonement for sin or him rising from the dead. Um, or like Christians say, like he was the God, the son incarnated. It's going to be very different. So it's a little tricky just saying that like he believes in, to say that we both yeah, believe if, in if Jesus. If I believe you just mean believe in existence and that's a very low bar that everyone mm-hmm. except for, for uh mythicists would, would hold to. No. Yeah. <laughs> so Christians they, and atheists it, would both believe in Jesus then. Yeah, they would. I mean, granted, look, the Muslim, the Islamic view is higher than that. I mean, they think mm-hmm. he's a great prophet, Muslim side. So I'm not trying to, to say that they have a, an equal view of Jesus that most, most atheists do, but certainly there are comparable differences. I do think that mm-hmm. Muslims are more correct about Jesus than a lot of atheists. So I'll at least give them that. Mm-hmm. And at least like one of the things I like about Shabir is it's a nice, like he's very friendly in how he opens this. Like he's very, he's not going out, like he's going for Tony's throat or anything. And he's like, Hey, like we have this common ground or this apparent common ground. And like, it's something that's like honorable for him to try to at least start with. So, yeah. Right. All right, here we go. We're going to dive into the next part right now. For a millennium, Muslims and Christians have debated over the question of the crucifixion and resurrection, with uh, Christians saying he was crucified, Muslims saying he wasn't crucified. But there are two developments, or or developments, I I would say, in both faiths, which uh, would uh, help us uh, to uh, come to a better understanding of each other on this important uh, question. First of all, the the developments within the Islamic faith. Uh, The classical commentaries on the Quran were written uh, more than a thousand years ago, well, well, some of the most important ones, for example, the Tabari, and they became the basis of uh, subsequent uh, traditional tafsirs or commentaries on the Quran. The commentaries tended to copy each other, so if a mistake entered one uh, commentary, uh, often it was just copied into the other commentaries as well. And uh, we we should not take uh, the, the fact that many commentaries in in the past agreed on a certain point uh, as uh, the be-all and end-all. No, rather, uh, the the Quran for Muslims is the word of God, and the commentaries are attempts by human beings to understand the word of God. The commentaries could be wrong, but for Muslims, uh, the Quran isn't uh, wrong. So the Quran in Surah 4, verse 157 says, They killed him not, nor did they crucify him. But so it was made to appear to them. The classical commentators took this to mean that somebody else was made to look like Jesus and put on the cross instead, whereas Jesus was raised up to heaven. Uh, Modern interpreters of the Quran, like myself, uh, we feel that it is not necessary to posit that somebody else was made to look like Jesus and put on the cross. Uh, this invokes uh, a, a uh, you, you can say, an awesome miracle. And when we interpret the Quran, it's not necessary to invoke such awesome miracles. If a simpler explanation, uh, this is called parsimony in, in the field of interpretation. And so if there is a parsimonious interpretation, a simpler one, uh, that is better than to invoke a great uh, miracle of the sort of saying that somebody else was made to look like Jesus, that somebody else was crucified, and, and so on. Uh, so what we find more uh, to the point is that it is possible that Jesus uh, was, uh, though put on the cross, not actually killed on the cross, uh, whereas his enemies thought that they had him dead. Now, the word crucifixion can have two meanings, uh, meaning one, merely hanging on the cross, meaning two, uh, being killed by the the act of hanging the person on the cross. And uh, the Quran seems to be denying the second uh, uh, of of the two possibilities here, meaning that even if they hung him on the cross, uh, he did not die uh, thereby. Okay, so lots of things here, Caleb. Where do you want to take this? Okay, yeah, so there's a lot. So I think that He's right in saying that when you look at historical commentaries on this on the verse, um, most of the time commentators said yes, Jesus was not in fact on the cross at all. It only appeared that way, and so Shabir is taking a very modern interpretation, and I can't help but think that's because he knows that that seems like a very ad hoc statement, and so he's trying to get around the more seemingly implausible idea that Jesus wasn't was switched or, or something. It's also an unfalsifiable idea. I can't disprove historically that someone that Allah made someone look like it. And it was just an illusion. Like if you're going to incorporate a miracle like that, then you know it's hard to disprove that. Um, but I think that that seems to be a, 
more modern exegesis for that. And although I'm not trained in the Air, uh, Arabic, and so I will give Shabir the benefit of the doubt in terms of translations, I think the reason why that has been historically the view is for two reasons. One, I think, is that if you look at the translation, at least from, from my understanding of it, it says they did not crucify him, nor did they kill him. So I'm not sure where Shabir is getting, again, I don't speak Arabic, but I'm not sure where in the passage you can get the idea that he was put on the cross but did not die, because then it would be very redundant. They did not crucify him, nor did they kill him. So that would be, yes, they did crucify him, but they did not kill him. So if by they did not crucify, they mean they did not kill him by crucifixion. Then the next part, nor did they kill him, is kind of redundant. It's like, well, yeah, you just said that, if you mean. So it could be some kind of parallelism, I don't know. But it does seem a little redundant to me to read it as in it means he didn't die by crucifixion, nor did they kill him. But it's like that, that's the same thing. Um, so mm -hmm. I think that the most natural reading and the one that most commentators took was that he was not on the cross, nor did he. And because of that, nor did he even die by crucifixion. Uh, and the second thing that I was going to say is that um, when you look at Islam's uh, interpretation of this and how they get the idea of Jesus doing this, this is borrowing or has a lot of influence from Gnostic and Docetist texts of the second and third centuries. Um, you could, we have texts like, um, I forget, it's not the gospel, Peter, but there's some other ones that have Jesus where um, he's up in heaven and he's almost mocking people who think he's dying on earth. And he has a doppelganger and he's like, aha, look, there's, you think that's me on the cross, but I'm up here and I'm only pretending to have flesh because the Gnostics denied that Jesus was really incarnate as a human. They thought he was a spirit just pretending to be, a human because this was a greek idea they didn't like resurrection or incarnation in that same way so uh it how how convenient is it that the quran which comes centuries later and uh had a lot of interpretation or a lot of interaction from uh people traveling and gnostic christians of this time that had developed how interesting is it that it incorporates those traditions right so it is a little suspicious um the analogy that i give is uh like imagine that you have abraham lincoln right and then 150 years later, you have a movie called Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, which is a real movie. Uh, and then imagine someone writing centuries after that saying, ah, we have a source that says this is the real life of Abraham Lincoln. But no, in fact, Abraham Lincoln was a vampire hunter. Here's this book from 150 later. Uh, sorry, here's a movie from 150 years later that says so. So it's almost like they're taking that from the Gnostic text and trying to read that onto it. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's really good, Caleb. I don't know if I have too much to add with you. Like, I don't really know anything about the... Quran, like I've read the Quran, but I haven't really studied it. So I don't really have anything to add there. The only thing I do think is like Shabir is going somewhere when he talked about like parsimony, like simpler explanations, all things being equal are better. I think it's actually going to work in like the Christian's favor as we get into this next clip. But yeah, that's really all I have to add here. I didn't have a lot on this little section. I agree. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Here's the next clip. So that's one development, making it possible for, for Muslims to prop the denial of the, the idea that Jesus was even put on the cross. Now, on the other side, uh, there has been developments as well. Uh, Tony noted that uh, there was nothing earlier on the life of Jesus than the New Testament documents themselves. However, uh, scholars have been reconstructing earlier documents. For example, the document Q, which is one of the source documents from Matthew and uh, Luke in writing their Gospels. Daniel Smith, in his uh, two books, uh, first, the postmortem vindication of Jesus in the uh, sayings Gospel Q, and then, uh, secondly, uh, revisiting uh, the empty tomb, the, the, the second of the, these two books Tony has written a critical uh, review of, so he's very familiar with this book and the theory. So Daniel Smith has actually looked at the Q uh, document and uh, he has uh, found that uh, the, the um, 
findings of a previous scholar, Dieter Zeller, a, a German scholar, uh, are basically uh, correct in saying that uh, the Q uh, gospel in, uh, speaks of uh, Jesus, uh, uh, not, not as dying for the sins of the world, uh, but uh, uh, assumed into, into heaven. Uh, now, there's a difference between uh, a, a person dying, resurrecting from the dead, associating with his disciples, and then being raised up into heaven. That's the common resurrection narrative that Tony is uh, propounding. And, and on the other hand, the idea that the person was assumed into heaven. Now, one of the earliest, uh, the earliest of the four Gospels is the Gospel according to Mark. And Mark chapter 16 ends at verse number 8. Others have uh, appended other, you know, later... Um, appendages to Mark 16 to extend it and show that Jesus appeared to his disciples here or there. But in Mark uh, chapter 16, uh, in the earliest, the uh, most reliable manuscripts, uh, they, they, there is no description of, of a story uh, of, of Jesus appearing to his disciples. There is only a promise in chapter 16, verse number 7. But here too, scholars uh, reconstruct uh, or, or try to understand what would have been the source of this uh, Mark and Gospel. And they think that in the source uh, for Mark, uh, this uh, verse number 7 was not there with a the promise of Jesus appearing to his disciples in Galilee. And what we uh, remain with here is that the pre-Markan gospel uh, spoke of the uh, discovery of the empty tomb, uh, but the complete disappearance of Jesus for the moment, but with a, an understanding that Jesus is going to come back in the future. Now, the disappearance of the man of God with uh, a promise of his return in the future for a, an, what the scholars call an eschatological role, uh, this whole idea is the idea of assumption. God takes up his man and, and preserves him for a future role. That's different from resurrection from the dead, where the person dies, he comes back to life, to life he's here on earth for some time, and then maybe eventually at the end he, is, he ascends, as we find in the Gospel according to uh, to uh, Luke. Okay, so Shabir's trying to have like this really crazy reverse card, like, saying that like it actually like, the Gospel Mark's here to support his view, um, and the Christian sources are. So, where do you want to take this, Caleb? Yeah, his, his, a reverse card for sure. Well, first of all, I think when he's invoking the Q document, that is very speculative, and more and more scholars are starting to digress from that as a uh, potential explanation. Now, I'm not. I I actually do lean towards there being probably being some kind of Q source, maybe it's the Proto-Mathian um, source that that uh, Papias implies. I don't know, um, but there are quite a number of growing scholars who are skeptical. But even if we grant Q for the sake of argument, that's found in um, between Matthew and Luke and, and parts of and Mark and the earlier versions of that, I don't think that gets you where you you really need to be um, in terms of he's citing the empty tomb tradition in, in Mark. And although I do think that is a pretty primitive tradition for various reasons that I don't have time to get into now. Um, I think we look at Paul and the uh, creeds and the language invoked in Paul. Now, Paul does talk about Jesus being assumed into heaven, I believe in Philippians and some other places. So it is true that they did think that he was assumed into heaven, but they also said that he was in fact resurrected. And this is probably some of our earliest uh, creeds and, and sources that we have. Paul says Ananasis, and he's trying to talk with the pagans, explain this idea that they have, a general resurrection because the pagans didn't believe that there would be a general resurrection at the end of time. And he's talking to the Corinthians in first Corinthians 15. Um, they did have individuals who were sometimes raised and assumed into heaven who were returned in a bodily form, but they didn't have this as a corporate event for, for most people. And they were, they understood full well what assumption was. Shabir is right that assumption and resurrection were two different things. Um, now it gets tricky because you could have post-mortem assumption where people could be taken up after they're dead. This might be implied with, um, and the parable of, of the rich man and Lazarus, when it says angels took Lazarus up to heaven and he wasn't buried, that could imply that he, he was assumed in heaven after his death. There's a Jewish text called the Testament of Job that probably dates to roughly around the same time of Jesus. 
that has um, Job's kids are crushed by a, a building. And as he's digging out, the bodies are gone and he looks up in heaven and they're in glory. And so, um, yes, there are postmortem assumptions in Judaism. I think Josephus and Philo mentioned how um, Moses actually was taken up into heaven and how he only wrote that he died. So people would worship him as a God. And of course they thought that for Elijah and Enoch as well. So yeah, there are cases of people being taken to heaven in both Judaism and paganism, but this was distinguished from resurrection in the general sense. And we'd see what Paul's talking about in his epistles, which are very early. We do in fact see this idea of bodily resurrection. And so Shabir just wants to say, well, you know, the Mark narrative we have is only about assumption. But if you take that and you take Jesus' words elsewhere, he says uh, three times, I believe two or three times in Mark, he says, you will see me uh, right from the dead afterwards. Um, so he's mm -hmm. predicting this. And so I feel like you really have to cherry pick your sources and really add on embellishments where needed um, in order to make the case. And it seems uh, to me strange that he's going to invoke they came to believe in bodily and uh, bodily assumption without explaining how they got from that to then resurrection, because these were two different things. So yes, our earlier sources do in fact imply resurrection with the language Paul is using there. And um, I, I, I think for other reasons that we'll get into that Shabir will bring up here. Um, he can he should not just dismiss the records of Jesus appearing afterwards as, as merely legendary. So that's what mm -hmm. I would say to that. Yeah. I mean, Mark eight thirty one says um, Jesus says like, or it says in Mark 8.31, and he, be, and he, referring to Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And he, he, will, be, he, he will be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. It's so like there it is in the Gospel of Mark, seeming to imply like a, like a physical, like Jesus being killed and then him like physically rising from the dead, not like a mere mm -hmm. like ascension into heaven or something. So yeah, that's good. And then I think your point about like Paul is good. So if you look at like 1 Corinthians 15, there's so much like resurrection language in that chapter. Um, I was just going through it, like thinking about this. And if you look in like verses 3, 4, 12, 13, 16, 20, 22, 32, 35, there's a lot of verses that seem to suggest like a, like Paul believes in some sort of like actual resurrection, not an ascension of Jesus into heaven. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it just seems like, like you said, it's going to be hard for, it doesn't seem like a very simple explanation that Shapiro giving, um, say that Jesus immediately ascended into heaven because it looks like there's a lot of passages uh, early passages that you have to run into that they're going to give you problems with that kind of view. Yeah. And I think the view of Jesus after he was risen, um, if you look in Jewish literature, um, usually when people are sitting into heaven, they take on this glorious appearance where they have a white robe and shining in lights, what we think of in heaven. And even the resurrection body was supposed to have this too, in like texts like Daniel two, Daniel 12, two, and I think second Baruch and Enoch and stuff like that. Um, but you do. But when Jesus is raised in the Gospels, it, it's it's very strange because he doesn't look like that at all. The angels are said to have dazzling clothing, but Jesus kind of goes unrecognized. Um, he, he doesn't stand out and people think he's a normal guy until he reveals himself. The only time you see this is after the assumption. So when he's assumed into heaven, now he is covering glory. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But you don't see that prior to the to the assumption. So these are you know these are not what you'd expect from just an assumption an assumption you'd expect them to see jesus glorified i don't and i hardly anyone denies that the disciples did see something i mean even first Corinthians 15 has a list of people and most scholars think of those as visions but i don't think shabir can say that literally all of the appearances are legendary maybe the ones in better detail in the gospels but he's gonna have to say that the disciples saw jesus in some way and if this was a vision in heaven then you have to explain why this vision from heaven elaborate into such a way where now Jesus is non-glorious on earth 
and why that apologetically doesn't really make sense. If you were trying to appeal to Jews and say Jesus was resurrected, describing him using the Old Testament scripture language and all this would make sense. But having it to where it looks nothing like what the resurrection is supposed to be, I think would turn a lot of people off. And it certainly turned the pagans off. So, yeah, that's what I would say to that. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, and it seems like like most early Christians, like they affirm like a resurrection, not an ascension as well. So it just seems like, you know, the cards are... Well, they affirm both. I mean, they did think he was assumed, but yeah, they mm-hmm. they affirm both. If you read the Gospels and uh, Paul, it's it's clearly both, that he was resurrected and then assumed. Yeah. But interesting, point. you read like the Gospel of Peter, he's uh, assumed at the same time he's resurrected. So he he's taken up into heaven out of the grave and then he comes back down and appears to people. And it's very elaborate and, and extraordinary. But uh, yeah, it's just interesting to me that later, later Gnostics were trying to combine the two together, whereas mm-hmm. they seem to be a separate event in, um, in the gospels. Well, if you're ready, let's get into this last clip, this opening statement. Now, according to Daniel Smith, these are two uh, completely different paradigms, Uh, but the gospel writers, uh, starting with Mark, have brought the two paradigms together to make it have have both applied to Jesus. He was both assumed into heaven and he is uh, uh, also resurrected from the dead. But it seems that the earlier uh, story among Christians was that Jesus was assumed uh, into heaven and uh, directly from the tomb. This is also stated by Reginald uh, Fuller uh, in his uh, formation of the resurrection uh, narratives. Uh, so uh, we, we, we find scholars are reconstructing the documents that way. And when we look at these reconstructions, uh, we find that there is good uh, hope for Muslims and Christians in their dialogues in that Muslims no longer need to deny that Jesus was put on the cross, uh, but Muslims can say it looks like though one of the early Christian <laughs> beliefs about Jesus being assumed into heaven from the tomb, uh, that uh, may have been uh, what the Quran is referring to. Uh, and, and, and we can see that there is a confluence of ideas here. Now, Dieter Zeller said something that Daniel Smith doesn't agree with, but uh, it seems that he's right on point. In the Q Gospel saying uh, in chapter 11, uh, I believe it's verse number 29, where the sign of Jonah is mentioned. Uh, so Dieter Zeller uh, thinks that this means that Jesus would be rescued alive, just as Jonah was alive. And uh, in fact, this seems to gel with the Muslim idea that Jesus was uh, neither killed nor crucified. It looks like God rescued him alive and raised him into heaven. Now, often when we say that Jesus did not die, well, you know, Christians retort, but wait a minute, he came back to life, he met with all of his disciples and so on, surely he would have told them uh, the truth of all of this. Uh, but uh, notice that the scholars do not accept that Jesus actually came out and met with his disciples. They think that this is later myth and legend, and that uh, the original story was much uh, simpler, uh, with Jesus being assumed uh, from the tomb into heaven. Thank you all for your patient listening. I look forward to Tony's rebuttals. Okay, where do you want to take this, kill? Yeah, so I've read Daniel Smith's book before that he's citing. Um, in fact, it was, it was one of the articles I think I was... So one of the books I think I was citing in that Matthew article, and I, I cite it in my uh, original Resurrection book, too. And I, I think Shabir really likes to quote, and be like William Lynn Craig have said this, too. Shabir really likes to quote people for his own convenience and then not quote them where, where it uh, disregards him. Because although Daniel Smith does think of the, um, of the empty tomb narrative as, as an original ascension narrative, he doesn't necessarily dismiss at least all of the, the details in the Gospels about Jesus appearing to people. I believe he for example, says that the fact that Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, the woman twice, might be historical and have some kind of historical memory. So he does think there are some historical memories in there. So, and again, Paul says this as well. So you're going to have to still say that if Jesus was assumed into heaven and there were some kind of appearances, either he was assumed into heaven and they hallucinated independently of that, or Jesus appeared to them, but they misinterpreted it as a, as a resurrection, which is 
strange why Allah would allow Jesus to do that in the first place. Uh, that, that by appearing to people as assumed he would start the greatest false religion, according to them in the world that I, I'm not really following um, Allah's logic there. But uh, so I, I think for a number of reasons, that's very problematic and very uh, selective of the evidence. And again, Paul's language, it, which is perhaps the earliest that we have, Mark is also pretty early, at least the tradition Mark is using, um, I don't think is, is meant to be taken that way. And, uh, you know, lest we forget that Paul is only one removed. He knows, he knows uh, Peter and James and John. He's only one person removed from the, from the witnesses. So it's not as if this is like a, something that developed. And by the time he gets to Paul, it's like resurrection. Like, no, I mean, Paul knows the firsthand witnesses. So it's not like as we have to hypothesize this very elaborate change over, over decades um, in that sense. So, yeah, I don't, I don't really see that as plausible. And as I argued in the previous section, um, I think there are details in the gospels that preclude them from just being written off as legend. I think he spent far too short of a time to discuss that in terms of, well, they think those are legendary and we don't have to address that. Um, and the last thing I'll say on that is when he brings up the sign of Jonah, um, I think it's interesting that that's some of Muslims bring up a lot, but if you actually read the passage in Jonah, you, you muted, you muted yourself. Is that better? Yeah. How are you? Sorry. I, I did that. Now I was talking about the passage of Jonah, the sign of Jonah I actually do think Jonah probably did die. And I think the text implies that he died and was resurrected. Now it is a lot of poetic language in the prayer. So it's hard to tell in a way, but there are, there are sections in chapter two, for example, where it says, um, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, which would be, you know, implying that he, he may have gone to Sheol and to death. Um, the waters closed in over me, take my life. The deep surrounds me. Uh, let's see where else it was. And other places like that. And there's, if you read the chapter itself, there are implications in there. Oh yeah. I went down to the land whose bars closed up on me forever. Yet you brought me up to life from the pit. Oh Lord, my God. Um, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. So you could read that as being God restoring life back into him after he died. Now I know that's a little bit of speculation and it could be poetic. He could just mean saying I was really close to death. It's not clear either way, but I don't think it's cut and dry enough for Shabir to have a point there. And I think we also have to be careful about how we're reading texts and how we're saying um, of this way in terms of, you know, Jesus is meant to be implying this. Um, I think Jesus is giving an analogy people would understand, but I don't think it follows from that, that Jesus meant to be every element of it to be identical and that he wasn't going to die. And I don't think you can take Jesus' predictions about dying and, um, I'm sorry, Jesus' predictions about Jonah and say that he didn't think he was going to die and ignore predictions Jesus made about his own death in the passion narratives as something that's ex eventu. So yeah, I, I, I it, that feels very selective to me in terms of, of scholarship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's Shabir's thing is interesting. Um, and I, but it's hard for me to get my, so in, help me correct me. Like if, if I, if I'm wrong with like Shabir's story, um, but he's trying to say is like, so Jesus is put on the cross, but he doesn't die on the cross and he's going to be put in the tomb. Um, and then he ascends into heaven at some point, but there's not going to be all these like appearances or things like this. Um, but kind of like from the tomb, he's ascended. Is, is, do you think that's kind of like what Shabir is trying to argue? Yeah, it is. And there was a pretty common motif in, in antiquity of bodies assuming into heaven and being like found empty. So I think mm -hmm. that's where a lot of it comes from. But again, if you're going to posit the swoon theory, now granted the Muslim versions harder to disprove because you're invoking a miracle by Allah. So I can't do the normal, you know, well, medically, it'd be in pot and all that. So it's like, okay, fine. Allah preserved him miraculously. 
I can't disprove that. Um, but but I, I feel like Shabir does not really at all attempt to explain the appearances. Not even I don't even mean the gospel ones, although that's relevant, but like even the ones mentioned in First Corinthians 15, does Shabir think that Jesus appeared to them up in heaven and that this what that this later developed like some people do, or does Shabir think these are completely false? Or, or, or does he think they're hallucinations? Like, does he think that that's what I'm asking is, did Jesus appear from heaven to them and they misinterpreted it? Because that seems like a kind of a faux pas on, on Jesus' part. Or did he not do that at all? And he's saying independently of this after the assumption, they happen to have these experiences out of that. And this is completely psychosomatic on their part. So I, I don't think Shabir really even gave a theory there. And, and uh, outside of just saying, well, the later versions of it are legendary, but that's not overly sufficient in my opinion. Yeah, it is tricky if you're going to say like he he ascended into heaven from the tomb. You're going to have to try to explain this. I mean, I guess you could say something like when the disciples came and found the empty tomb, they just said Jesus rose from the dead. Um, but then there's no still no appearances there, which is going to be kind of weird. Saying like, well, then he appeared to me or he appeared to that, and like you said, you have to get like heavenly appearances or something like that. So yeah, it's definitely yeah. And, and, and finding a body empty is not the first thing you would do, even even as a Jew, right? At, at that time period. When Mary finds the tomb empty, she says, "Oh, where did you move the body?" And that's mm. what that seems to be what they what they think initially. The Jews thought that it was stolen. The, the Jews in, in Matthew twenty eight think the body was stolen. Um, some people suggest the gardener moved it. There's a lot of these different theories, but it's not as if that's the first thing that would come to mind in terms of, "Oh, he must be risen from the dead. The body's gone." Um, you can find plenty of examples of that happening, and usually they mourn. If you read. Um, Philo of Alexandria retells the story of Jake. You know, you know the story of uh, where Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers um, back in Genesis, and he he tells that really emotionally, where the brothers go back and they tell that you know, and they faked Joseph, Joseph's death with like putting blood on his coat. It's like, oh, the, a wolf got him, and the body is gone, and and his father just starts crying, and you know, so they didn't say, oh, the body's gone, he must be up in heaven. They're like, oh my gosh, the body's gone, we can't give our our final grievances because burial in Judaism was hugely important. It was it was probably the Besides, like, handling the temple, burying a body was probably the most respectful, honorable thing you could do and most important thing you could do. Even in the book of Tobit, we have Jews literally burying strangers just out of honor and because it was what they were expected to do. So the idea of a body being missing would be a big deal, but it wouldn't automatically infer resurrection. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm just trying to follow the logic of Shabir's reasoning here, but I don't think he's proposed enough to really account for, for a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have too much else to add. Anything else you want to say here, Caleb, before we start to close shop? I Again, I would just say historically, I think the fact that this idea of Jesus being assumed into heaven and not really being crucified is a later Gnostic um, embellishment and um, is not what we would necessarily see in the Pauline corpus. And so it seems very ad hoc in trying to justify the Quran's version. When the Quran was written 600 years later, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, I know, I know he thinks it's the word of God, so he can pull the inerrancy card, but just using historical critical methods, I'm, I'm very skeptical that we can make such a uh, optimistic approach to the Quran, especially when we think the Quran <laughs> might be using other sources that are quite late in, in mm. its influence. Yeah, I mean, I think that's well said. Um, yeah, well, this is good, man. This is, I had no idea how long this was going to take, but it only took like 30 minutes, so. That wasn't that long of an opening, yeah. Yeah, it was only a 10-minute opening, and one of the things that's great about Shabir is he's very clear and concise. So it wasn't like we had to like try to figure out what he was saying or things like this. And obviously like we disagree, but I mean, he's a very great, he's a great speaker. So yeah. Yes. He's a very nice person. Yeah. He seems like it. So, well, Caleb, anything you want to say about like you or the projects you're working on or anything like that before we close out here? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was trying to do this before we aired, but just so it's on camera, I'm I'm trying to finish up a book right now on miracles, and it's pretty pretty dense. Uh, it'll be a, a tome. Um, expecting it to be probably around 500 pages or so by the time it's done, but uh, hopefully that'll be out relatively soon next year. Um, I'm still finishing. I'm, I'm hoping to be done writing it by the end of this year and have it out published by next year. And I don't know if it'll be self-published or be through it. Um, publisher. I'll, I'll, I'll worry about that when I get to it, but I'm excited to see that. And I do talk about the resurrection a little bit in that book, although I already have a book on the resurrection, pop, popular level books so and not as, not as extensive um, called undead, uh, which is on Amazon. Uh, if you're interested in that. So yeah, that's that's uh, my paracoat for for resurrection studies. But uh, oh, I also contribute to a um, a friend's blog. The blog is called Think Christian Theism. There's multiple authors, but I've contributed some work there. I think I've done a couple stuff on the resurrection empty tomb. So um, just look at the articles. You can see the ones that I've written. So yeah, check those out. Yeah, right on. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Caleb. I'll leave a link to one of your books in the description because I thought it's probably the best way for people can, to kind of pursue your work even more. Um, so you can check out Caleb there at the look down below. And yeah, if you enjoyed this content, I encourage you to subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff. Um, subscribing is huge. If you value our content, um, follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, or sadly even on TikTok again. So you can follow us really anywhere that you got social media. Um, and if you really value our support and you're like, yeah, this is that guy, you know, he's got something decent going on here um you can become a patron at patreon.com slash if you can follow jeff's um little as a dollar a month your support would be super huge and important but you know it's it's just you know you don't have to no pressure i won't maybe i'll just cry tonight but you know it's okay um <laughs> i'm joking just if you got your content you can do it there um uh, but yeah caleb right on thank you so much for coming on today this was great i really appreciate you appreciate thank you for having me yeah and thank you everyone for tuning in have a good one and god bless